Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Center for Media Evangelization in Ewing, New Jersey, welcome to Come to Me with Jim Manfredonia. Stay tuned for an hour of talk, reflections, and meditations on topics that are important to today's Catholics. And now, here is your host, Jim Manfredonia. Well, a very good day to you, my friends. Welcome once again to Come To Me. My name is Jim Manfredonia, and as always, a great joy to be here with you. As the Lord allows us this time, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 4 p.m. here on these domestic church media radio stations and all of the other platforms that we used uh, and continue to use to bring you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm praying you're having a blessed, happy, and holy January 20th. Now today uh, I am coming to you live, but I'm coming to you live from home because I wasn't too sure what, <laughs> what the weather was going to be, the way they were talking about it. You know, we should have uh, up to three inches of snow and now ice and all that other, but I'm looking out my window here and blue skies shining on me here in uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. But uh, I am happy you're here, my friends, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. And thank you for you and to you for being a part of my day. Always a great joy to be with you. Uh, today, Thursday, is Catechism Day, so I'm going to go back to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We've been teaching from the section on the Creed, and uh, we'll go today to the section of the Catechism from that particular uh, part, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, uh, beginning with paragraph 430, Jesus. So we'll talk about that. And But before we do that, uh, after our prayer, I do want to go back uh, to St. Pope John Paul II's beautiful uh, apostolic exhortation from 1981 on the family, Familiaris Consortio. And today we're gonna, I'm going to share with you uh, John Paul's teaching on the role of the Christian family. And I'm doing this because, you know, I just have been sharing with you, and I, you know, I don't have to tell you this, that these days the family is under such horrible, horrible attack and uh, we have to do everything we possibly can to build up family the basic cell of society as John Paul would say when he was our Holy Father as the family goes so goes society so I'll share these words with you from John Paul too but first we're gonna pray and we're gonna continue as we have been doing for over a year now praying this beautiful prayer of consecration to the Holy Family of Nazareth and so I invite you Again, to join me and all of our family who gathers right now, uh, praying with and for each other. And uh, as we pray this prayer, we're praying for all of your intentions. And just ask you please to remember each other in these prayers and consecrate our family and your family to the Holy Family of Nazareth. So let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord Jesus, you lived in the home of Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. There you grew in age, wisdom, and grace as you prepare to fulfill your mission as our Redeemer. We entrust our family to you. O Blessed Mary, you are the mother of our Savior. At Nazareth you cared for Jesus and nurtured him in the peace and joy of your home. We entrust our family to you. O Saint Joseph, you provided a secure and loving home for Jesus and Mary, 
and gave us a model of fatherhood while showing us the dignity of work. We entrust our family to you. Holy Family, we consecrate ourselves and our family to you. May we be completely united in a love that is lasting, faithful, and open to the gift of new life. Help us to grow in virtue, to forgive one another from our hearts, and to live in peace all our days. Keep us strong in faith, persevering in prayer, diligent in our work, and generous toward those in need. May our home, O Holy Family, truly become a domestic church, where we reflect your example in our daily life. And we'll pray our prayers to St. Michael, and also our prayer to our Blessed Mother. Holy Father asks us to pray these prayers every day to protect the church from the attacks of the devil. And so we pray, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. And we pray, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Pray for us. Venerable Archbishop Sheen, pray for us. St. Pope John Paul II, pray for us. Our Lady of Good Remedy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Again, thanks so much, friends, for praying together. And thank you for keeping those prayer requests and prayer intentions coming in. Uh, as I've been sharing with you, we're getting excited again because uh, our good friend Bruce DeBacco will be returning to uh, uh, Domestic Church Media with his program, Come to the Throne, and uh, we're looking at a start date, uh, I think, around the, f the beginning of March. Uh, but uh, tomorrow on Friday Live, joining Cheryl and me as one of our guests will be Bruce from uh, his uh, new home up in uh, the Rochester, New York area. We're kind of making that now a satellite domestic church media studio up there. But Bruce will be one of our guests tomorrow, as will an EWTN favorite, Dr. Ray Garendi, will be joining Cheryl and me tomorrow. So I do hope that you will be able to tune in at 4 o'clock and spend a couple of hours with us. It's supposed to be a very, very cold day, so stay warm and stay warm with us. Uh, Bruce Tobacco and Father, uh, not Father, Dr. Ray Garendi and our uh, reflection tomorrow will be by our good friend Father John Butler. Uh, music and talk, all kinds of stuff, so uh, do join us tomorrow at 4 o'clock for Friday Live. And, um, uh, you know, just so much going on in the world, my brothers and sisters, that we really need to just come together as often as possible, you know, just to kind of reinforce each other in our faith, because uh, we talk about families being under attack. Certainly our church is under attack uh, quite often. And, um, you know, this world that we live in right now, uh, so many crazy things going on. I don't know if you heard the news or saw the news yesterday. Um, the uh, Prime Minister of Great Britain announced <laughs> that they are no longer going to have any mask mandates or vaccination passports. They're done. <laughs> They're done with it. Um they're going to live with the virus and treat it as an illness, as any other illness, with the therapeutics that are available. And 
just move on with life. And I think Spain also joined them t uh, today or yesterday. Uh, so let's pray that more and more countries do the same. I think we're all pretty much uh, ready to move on. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting yesterday that Great Britain said, that's it, we're, we're finished. <laughs> I don't know if they use those exact words. But that uh, they're, you know, no longer to have going to have mask mandates or, uh, you know, the businesses being closed or all that stuff. So, let's just pray that uh, we we uh, go in the same direction. Uh, they're going to treat it just as a, a virus, as a you know, as it's an uh, as any as a flu, any other virus, and and move ahead. So, you know, all the prayers that are being prayed are working. And one of the, of course, tomorrow also. Friday is the March for Life in Washington, and we're excited because we're going to be bringing you live coverage uh, tomorrow, starting, I believe, at 7.30. I have to double-check my schedule here. I'll check it during the break. Um, live coverage, beginning with the closing mass. Uh, I guess they had all-night adoration or vigil at the Basilica, and we'll have the closing mass for that, and then move on to the March for Life uh, with some of your favorite EWTN personalities down in Washington giving us a a rundown of what's going on. You'll be able to hear all the speeches that are being given, as well as uh, very, very informative and interesting interviews. So that all happens right here tomorrow on the 21st, the, the March for Life in Washington, D.C. It's hard to believe that that in, uh, Supreme Court decision came down uh, 49 years ago. Hard to believe, right? In 1973, January uh 22nd and uh, you know uh, that it was it was lost in the news that day because on the same day January 22nd 1973 former president Lyndon Johnson passed away so that was the big news on that day and for the next few days so the Supreme Court decision that came down on that same day uh, that legalized abortion in this country really didn't uh, didn't hit the the news too hard, so it kind of snuck in there. Uh, but hard to believe, 49 years ago, and how sad a day that is. And God bless all the good people who do travel every year down to Washington, D.C. to uh, show their support for life. Uh, I remember going down when I was very much younger. <laughs> I don't know if it was the first march. I don't know what year the the, the march began, but I know uh, in in 1975 I went down, and for a few years after that we would drive down and just uh, participate in the march. And a couple of those times it was pretty cold and snowy, but we we did it anyway. And so God bless all the good people who for so many years have been fighting for life. So we'll pray for them, keep them in their in our prayers. Those who are traveling down to Washington tomorrow, and uh, those of you who can't be there. You can just tune right into your d domestic church media uh, station and listen live uh, throughout the day, uh, beginning at 7.30 tomorrow morning. So very excited about that. Now let's do this. Let's go to uh, Holy Father, uh, St. Pope John Paul II. Um, this is from his apostolic exhortation on the family, uh, Familiaris Consortio, that was uh, the result of... Um, the uh, synod on the family that had, had taken place prior to that. And usually what happens after a synod is the, the Holy Father uh, will come out with an exhortation, just kind of summarizing the results. So this is uh, the result of that particular synod in 1980, 
or uh, this one, the, the uh, exhortation came out in 81. Um, and very important, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, f 41 years ago uh, that this was released, but very, very contemporary and certainly hits home, especially those of us, and I know many of you, so many of you uh, yourselves included here, um, uh, that just understand the importance of the family in in uh, society. And so Holy Father, in this particular section of the exhortation, teaches about the role of the Christian family. This is what John Paul wrote. He said, Family become what you are. The family finds in the plan of God, the Creator and Redeemer, not only its identity, what it is, but also its mission, what it can and should do. The role that God calls the family to perform in history derives from what the family is. Its role represents the dynamic existential development of what it is. Each family finds within itself a summons that cannot be ignored, and that specifies both its dignity and its responsibility. And so Holy Father then writes, Family, become what you are. Accordingly, John Paul writes, the family must go back to the beginning of God's creative act if it is to attain self-knowledge and self-realization in accordance with the inner truth not only of what it is, but also of what it does in history. And since in God's plan it has been established as an intimate community of life and love, the family has the mission to become more and more what it is. That is to say, a community of life and love in an effort that will find fulfillment as will everything created and redeemed in the kingdom of God. Looking at it in such a way as to reach its very roots, John Paul writes, we must say that the essence and role of the family are in the final analysis specified by love. Hence the family has the mission to guard, reveal, and communicate love, and this is a living reflection of and a real sharing in God's love for humanity and the love of Christ the Lord for the church and his uh, the church his bride so all of this again holy father john paul teaching the family that you know when we think of the family sometimes we we, we get so uh, perhaps distracted by uh, the things that go on in our, in our everyday lives as family you know now for Cheryl and I are, are and have been for many years now uh, empty nesters in our our children are all grown up and they left the house many years ago. But I was thinking about this the other day uh, when I was looking through some old photos and looking at our children when they were little and the things that we, just remembering the things we used to do. You know, we always seem to remember at this point, at this stage in life, don't we? We always remember the good times. You know, it's very, very rare that we remember those down times and every family has them but we look back nostalgically at those moments of joy those are the real real strong memories those memories of of great joy that we had in in uh, raising children and spending time together vacations just little things i mean i i can so often look back on on uh, our life with the little ones when they were little 
and fondly recall. In fact, the other day I was watching something on, I don't know, it was on Facebook or on TV. It was some kind of commercial where these three little kids were, the camera was behind them. The three little kids were standing there looking at the front door and the front door opened and it was their daddy and they just screamed and screeched with the light, daddy, 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 and ran toward him and hugged him. And I, I thought, boy, do I miss those days. <laughs> to come home and have the little ones just come running at you, you know, and just practically tackling you. Those are the things you remember. I spent many, many uh, an evening with the kids on the floor playing. And, and so these are the things that we remember. And, and whether we realize it or not at the time, and even as they grow up and into their teen years, and even today as, as grown-ups with children of their own, you know, and we, we, we are living out our mission, a mission of life and love. This is what Holy Father said, an intimate commu- community of life and love. And, and that truly is our mission as family to become more and more of that, of what it is, of what we are, of who we are as family. And to give witness to that to others, you know, and we know, we understand that many, sadly, there are many families that have been broken uh, through divorce, through uh, infidelities, through uh, um, tragedy. Uh, and we know, we understand, but there still is that that root foundation of family, even if it is a single parent and, and children, uh, even if it is, you know, a, 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 even orphaned children, they're still part of a family, and we try to make them part of family. So Holy Father John Paul says this is a living reflection. This mission to guard, reveal, and communicate love is a living reflection of and a real sharing in God's love for humanity and the love of Christ for the Lord, uh, uh, the love of Christ the Lord for his church and his bride. John Paul says every particular task of the family is an expressive and concrete actuation of that fundamental mission. We must therefore go deeper into the unique riches of the family's mission and probe its contents, which are both manifold and unified. John Paul writes thus, with love as its point of departure and making constant reference to it, the recent synod emphasized four great tasks of the family. So the synod that had uh, taken place prior to the exhortation, John Paul says, with love as its point of departure and making constant reference to it, the recent synod emphasized four general tasks for the family. So, and this is this hasn't changed in 41 years. It's still the same. It's still it still applies. So these four general tasks for the family: forming a community of persons, serving life, participating in the development of society sharing in the life and the mission of the church. So those, the the, uh, Synod Fathers said that uh, these are the four general tasks of the family. Forming a community of persons, serving life, participating in the development of society, and sharing in the life and mission of the church. So John Paul starts to break it down. So this is what I would like to do is, is, is as we go forward over the next oh, few weeks, let's say, 
uh, is to go through in detail what John Paul and the Synod Fathers uh, defined as the uh, general tasks for the family. The first one being forming a community of persons. Love as the principle and power of communication. John Paul writes, The family, which is founded and given life by love, is a community of persons, of husband and wife, of parents and children, of relatives. Its first task is to live with fidelity the reality of communion in a constant effort to develop an authentic community of persons. The inner principle of that task, its permanent power, and its final goal is love. Without love, the family is not a community of persons, and in the same way, without love, the family cannot live, grow, and perfect itself as a community of persons. John Paul said, when I wrote in the encyclical uh, Redemptor Omnis, applies primarily and especially within the family as such. Man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him. If he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. And you know, they've done so many studies, as you know, in the course of many, many years on the effects of isolation with individuals. You know, they, they put prisoners in solitary confinement. This is a torture. When, when, you know, and there have been, you hear about, you know, the prisoner of war camps and things where uh, individuals have been so isolated and there's been no human contact and let alone no love not even any human contact and 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 the the horrible effects it has on the human person well a person without love as holy father john paul writes remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself his life is senseless if love is not revealed to him if he doesn't encounter love if he doesn't experience it and make it his own John Paul writes, the love between husband and wife, in a uh, uh, derivatory and broader way, the love between members of the same family, between parents and children, brothers and sisters and relatives and members of the household, is given life and sustenance by an unceasing inner dynamism, leading the family to ever deeper and more intense communion, which is the foundation and soul of the community of marriage and the family. And think about that paragraph. I'm going to read it again. Think about this paragraph written 41 years ago. And think about what this pandemic has done to family over the past two, two years, almost now entering into our third year. And you remember those, those holidays and holy days that we would look forward to, to spend together? Do you remember the beginning, the first year of the pandemic, how Holy Week and Easter Everybody was in their home. Of course, it was nice in their domestic church. And the immediate family was there, and that's beautiful. People like Cheryl and me, though, whose children had left and have you know, grown up and, and left the house. And uh, we're always so used to on, on those special holidays, Christmas, Easter, you know, all the, all the big ones, to go gather with even other members of the family, you know, our own children, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, when my parents were alive, my parents, and, and that was an important gathering. So think of what the pandemic has done. And let me read this paragraph as you, as you ponder that. The love between husband and wife 
in a derivatory and broader way, love between members of the same family, between parents and children, brothers and sisters and relatives and members of the household, is given life by s and sustenance by an unceasing inner dynamism leading the family to ever deeper and more intense communion, which is the foundation and soul of the community of marriage and the family. And think how we have been uh, denied that in many ways, right? Uh, Holy Father went on to write the indivisible unity of conjugal communion. The first communion is the one which is established and which develops between husband and wife. By virtue of the covenant of married life, the man and woman are no longer two but one flesh, and they are called to grow continually in their communion through day-to-day -day fidelity to their marriage promise of total mutual giving. Notice the Holy Father says between man and woman. <laughs> this is a given, isn't it? This conjugal communion sinks its roots in the natural complementarity that exists between man and woman and is nurtured through the personal willingness of the spouses to share their entire life project what they have and what they are. For this reason, such communion is the fruit and the sign of a prof profoundly human need. But in the Lord Christ, God makes, uh, takes up this human need, confirms it, purifies it, and elevates it, leading it to perfection through the sacrament of matrimony. The Holy Spirit, who is poured out in the sacramental celebration, offers Christian couples the gift of a new communion of love that is the living and real image of that unique unity which makes of the church the indivisible mystical body of the Lord Jesus. The gift of the Spirit is a commandment of life for Christian spouses and at the same time a stimulating impulse so that every day they may progress toward an ever richer union with each other on all levels of the body, of the character, of the heart, of the intelligence and will of the soul, revealing in this way to the church and to the world the new communion of love given by the grace of Christ. So you see when we hear this very beautiful and pure uh, definition of marriage, married life, uh, conjugal communion as Holy Father calls it, when that becomes disordered, and we see it so often disordered sadly in our culture today promoted even the disorder being promoted through television and movies and, and just the lifestyles of of the individuals public individuals who have no uh, problem uh, talking about their own infidelities and their own uh, you know disregard for the sacrament um, and how that then can have a, a, a devastating effect on culture, on marriage, on family. Holy Father says such a communion is radically contradicted by polygamy. This, is, in fact, directly neg uh, negates the plan of God, which was revealed from the, from the beginning, because it is contrary to the equal personal dignity of men and women who in matrimony give themselves with a love that is total and therefore unique and exclusive. As the Second Vatican Council writes, firmly established by the Lord, the unity of marriage will radiate from the equal personal dignity of husband and wife, a dignity 
acknowledged by mutual and total love. And again, there's that uh, wonderful definition of the importance of fidelity in marriage to their uh, to each spouse's uh, promise and, and vow uh, before God, uh, giving themselves with a love that is total and unique and exclusive to the other. And sadly, again, we have in our world uh, a uh, many situations that are promoted, sadly even, promoted, uh, that promote infidelity, that will uh, encourage and uh, try to uh, incite almost an infidelity uh, to uh, the vows that were gi given and taken on the wedding day. And uh, this is a sad, sad commentary on our world and on what the world promotes uh, to especially young people. So again, Holy Father, in this document, and it's called Familiaris Consortio on the Family, it's a 1981 apostolic exhortation. I'm going to stop there because this next section goes on and I, I don't want to interrupt it. Uh, we'll continue this uh, next week, uh, this indissoluble communion, conjugal communion, Holy Father writes about, but we'll, we won't do that. We're going to take a break in just a few seconds here, so I don't want to move forward with that. But, uh, you know, you can read these documents. They're all available. It's free on the Vatican website, www.vatican.va, and you can uh, read them for yourselves. Uh, this particular document, Familiaris Consortio, was one of the first documents, uh, papal documents, that I read in the beginning of my journey into where we are today. Uh, and I was so impressed by it, as I said the other day, you know, uh, when, when uh, a few years later, when we were uh, deciding what to call our apostolate, uh, Domestic Church Media, uh, I chose that because I was inspired by what I read in this document. Uh, it, and so we'll take a break and uh, we will come back, my friends. So when we do, we're going to go and... Uh, go to the catechism since it is Thursday and continue our teaching from the creed so you stay where you are there's more to come on come to me 60 seconds with mother Angelica God created each one of us but he had in mind regardless of how we look from childhood to old age we change physically but we don't change in his mind See? why because God has a specific degree of union with him, holiness, we call it, for every one of you. And it's all different. See, we're all different. And we are called to be different because it glorifies God. He just doesn't make robots. Now, why you say, well, why are some holier than others? Well, that's your fault. <laughs> that's not his fault. If we accept the good, the bad, and indifferent of every day, every day. We'll all be holy in a different way. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. 60 Seconds with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Man who's free to love is free to hate. He who is free to obey is free to rebel. Virtue in this concrete order is possible only in those spheres in which it is possible to be vicious. A man can be a saint only in a church in which it is possible to be a devil. You say, well, if I were God, I would destroy evil. 
Well, if you did that, you would destroy human freedom. God will not destroy freedom. If we do not want any dictators on this earth, certainly we do not want any dictators in the kingdom of heaven. And those, therefore, who would blame God for allowing man freedom to go on hindering and thwarting his work are like those who, seeing blots and smudges and errors in the student's notebook, would condemn the teacher for not snatching away the book and doing the copy himself. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Pope Francis reminds us that it does not take a specialized degree in theology to become a great evangelist. We're all called to evangelize. Think about the woman at the well. After she encountered Jesus, she immediately went into the city and invited others to meet him as she had. You and I can go out now and do the same. And St. Paul Street Evangelization can help. Get involved today by contacting us at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. My family left the church because of a, a, a very negative experience with a specific priest. And that took my whole family away from going to church for a long period of time. There were other Catholic churches and there were great Catholic churches and great priests, but we stopped because of that one specific instance. And in a way, I was, I was cheated out a big part of my journey and my life uh, because we weren't in the church. In life, it seems like we're always enslaved to something. And I think that's, that's basically where, what our culture is all about right now is we are, we are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, but there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. My involvement in the church, my relationship with God is who I am. It's what gives me my identity. Thank God I'm home. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. media app for all your mobile devices. It's free and enables you to stay in touch with domestic church media and all we have to offer. You can tune into our live broadcast 24-7 as well as listen to our archives and podcasts. And you can even watch our local DCM programs live on our YouTube channel or watch the archive programs all on your phone or tablet. In addition to all things DCM, you'll also have so many other resources right at your fingertips. The free domestic church media mobile app also gives you the daily mass readings, the liturgy of the hours, numerous common prayers and novenas, and daily saints of the day. And that's not all. The Domestic Church Media mobile app also includes the complete catechism of the Catholic Church, the entire Bible, as well as multiple Catholic periodicals and newspapers like the National Catholic Register, Our Sunday Visitor, and so many others. Plus, you'll have access to all our local diocesan newspapers and so much more. Go to your app store today and download the free Domestic Church Media mobile app. We know you'll love it. I'm going to welcome you back, but I guess you weren't there the first half hour. <laughs> I just found out. My boo-boo, sorry about that. A particular switch on the board that I forgot to flip, because I am coming to you live from home today. I'm not in the studio. Sorry about that. Uh, not knowing what the uh, what the weather was going to end up being, I decided oh, well, I could just broadcast from home today. But, you know, I'm doing everything by computer, and I just... There's one, one teeny, tiny, little switch that I didn't flip, I should have flipped, uh, and that just made that you didn't hear a word. <laughs> you didn't hear a word I said for the first 30 minutes, but it is recorded, so it'll be on tonight. 
So I'm not doing any video today, by the way. If you're looking for us on YouTube or Facebook, not there today because we are coming. I am coming to you live from home. And I guess I could have the cameras here, but all I need is one. And, but anyway, I am happy you are here. It is Thursday. It is Catechism Day. I hope you fared well in the major snowstorm that we had. <laughs> Will they ever, ever get it right? You know, God bless our, we'll have to ask our our favorite weather person tomorrow, Jim Hoffman, the uh, Domestic Church Media Chief Meteorologist. Um, but boy, they were predicting here one to three inches maybe, and, and ice, and I, I don't believe, I'm looking out my window here, and blue skies, so, <laughs> and nothing on the ground, no, not even any ice. So anyway, I'm happier. So you missed the first part. Let me reiterate, tomorrow on Friday Live, we do hope you will join Cheryl and me. Our guests will be an EWTN favorite. Uh, Dr. Ray Garendi will be here with us tomorrow. And uh, also, uh, we're going to be joined by our good friend and Domestic Church Media family member, Bruce DeBacco, will be joining us. And he's going to kind of fill us in. You know, Bruce and his lovely wife, Linda, uh, moved to upstate New York uh, back in the fall. And uh, I wouldn't let Bruce get away that easily, so we uh, send him some remote equipment so he can continue to do his radio program from home. We just wanted to give him some time to settle in. He's had a few issues. Uh, you know, once you move into a new house, uh, there are always things that pop up you have to take care of. So we asked Bruce, just take your time when you're ready. But at least tomorrow he'll come on and join Cheryl and me as our guest, and he'll kind of fill us in. So we'll look forward to that. Of course, music and talk, and our good friend Father John Butler will give the gospel reflection tomorrow. Uh, so I do hope you can uh, join us uh, for Friday Live beginning at 4 o'clock. It is going to be a cold day tomorrow. So stay warm with us. Cozy up and cuddle up with us tomorrow at 4 o'clock. We'd love to have you. Now, you missed the whole first part of the program, so <laughs> I won't repeat it. Uh, it, it was uh, I was sharing uh, teaching from St. Pope John Paul II's beautiful 1981 apostolic exhortation Familiaris Consortio on the family. It will be on tonight, uh, the program, that when it repeats, and we'll have it on the uh, available on, uh, well, I guess there's no video, but we'll have it available on podcast eventually. Uh, but I do want to move on because it is, it is um, Thursday, it is Catechism Day, and we're continuing our teaching from the, the Creed. And today, the section that we're going to cover in our Catechism on the phrase, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. The beautiful thing, again, about the Catechism, the way it teaches uh, here, uh, the Creed, it breaks it down not just by major section, but by, literally by, by words. And so this section focuses on the name, the holy name, of Jesus. This is from paragraph 430 in our Catechism that says, Jesus means in Hebrew... God saves. At the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel gave him the name Jesus as his proper name, which expresses both his identity and his mission. Since God alone can forgive sins, it is God who, in Jesus, his eternal Son made man, will save his people from their sins. In Jesus, God recapitulates all of his history of salvation on behalf of men. You know, and, and whenever, every time I read something like this, where uh, here the Catechism says, at the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel gave him the name of Jesus, for he will save his people from his, their sins. And 
uh, he will be called Son of the Most High, you know, at the Annunciation. And it always makes you think, and I'm not going to go back to Christmas time, but I have to, uh, because people always ask, why don't you play Mary Did You Know? I love that song. And I say, because Mary knew. <laughs> the, whole, the whole premise of that song is Mary didn't know that her son Jesus was the Son of God when the angel told her he was the Son of God. Uh, and that he would save his people from their sins. Uh, you know, and, and it may be a beautiful melody, but the, the theology in it is, is, is wrong. You know, it's just because Mary knew. So to ask the question, Mary, did you know? The answer is yes, song over. And every time I see this, it makes me think of that. Uh, paragraph 431, in the history of salvation, uh, God was not content to deliver Israel out of the house of bondage by bringing them out of Egypt. He also saves them from their sin, because sin is always an offense against God. Only he can forgive it. For this reason, Israel becoming more and more aware of the universality of sin, will no longer be able to seek salvation except by invoking the name of the Redeemer God. The name Jesus signifies that the very name of God is present in the person of his Son, made man for the universal and definitive redemption from sins. It is the divine name that alone brings salvation, and henceforth all can invoke his name, for Jesus united himself to all men through the in his incarnation, so that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of the Savior God was invoked only once in the year by the high priest in atonement for the sins of Israel, after he had sprinkled the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies with the sacrificial blood, the mercy seat was the place of God's presence. When St. Paul speaks of Jesus, who God, whom God put forward as an expiation by his blood, he means that in Christ's humanity, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus' resurrection glorifies the name of the Savior God, for from that time on it is the name of Jesus that fully manifests the supreme power of the name which is above every other name. The evil spirits fear his name. In his name, his disciples, his disciples perform miracles, for the Father grants all that they ask in this name, the name of Jesus, my friends. And this is why it is so sad, and it hurts. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it pains you as much as it pains me any time I hear the holy name of the Lord being taken in vain. And so sad. It's done so frequently by so many people on television. We heard it recently by let's uh, well hey listen we heard it being t the lord's name being taken in vain if you saw the little clip from those congressional hearings last week by the good doctor himself who on a live mic didn't realize it was live but on a live mic called the senator who was questioning him a moron and then very openly and took the lord's name in vain uh very, very, very sad to hear that. But we hear it on television, we hear it in the movies, we hear it on the streets, we hear it in the store. The name above every other name. And it's this name that the, the evil spirits fear. This name, by, his, by this name, 
by which the disciples perform miracles. And for the Father grants all that they ask in this name. You know, when we pray, in Jesus' name we pray. The power of the, and the holiness of that name. The Catechism says, the name of Jesus is at the heart of Christian prayer. All liturgical prayers conclude with the words, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Hail Mary reached its high point in the words, Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. The Eastern prayer of the heart, the Jesus prayer, says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Many Christians, such as St. Joan of Arc, have died with the one word, Jesus, on their lips. If you were with Cheryl and me last week, I was sharing with uh, you some of those last words of the saints. And so many of them, as the Catechism says, invoke the holy name of Jesus. And then the Catechism teaches about the word Christ. You know, Christ wasn't his last name. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't Jesus Christ, Mary, and Joseph Christ. No. Christ, the word Christ, comes from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah, which means anointed. It became the name proper to Jesus only because he accomplished perfectly the divine mission that Christ signifies. In effect, in Israel, those consecrated to God for a mission that he gave were anointed in his name. This was the case for kings, for priests, and in rare instances for prophets. This had to be the case all the more for the Messiah, whom God would send to inaugurate his kingdom definitively. It was necessary that the Messiah be anointed by the Spirit of the Lord at once as king and priest and also as prophet. Jesus fulfilled the messianic hope of Israel in his threefold office of priest, prophet, and king. To the shepherds, the angel announced the birth of Jesus as the Messiah promised to Israel. When they said, To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And from the beginning he was the one whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, conceived as holy in Mary's virginal womb. God called Joseph to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, so that Jesus, who is called Christ, should be born of Joseph's spouse into the messianic lineage of David. And our Jesus' messianic consecration reveals his divine mission. For the name Christ implies he who anointed, he who was anointed, and the very anointing with which he was anointed, the one who anointed is the Father, the one who was anointed is the Son, and he who was anointed with the Spirit who is the anointing. His eternal messianic consecration was revealed during the time of his earthly life at the moment of his baptism by John when God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power that he might be revealed to Israel as its Messiah, his works and his words will manifest him as the Holy One of God. Many Jews, even Gentile, even certain Gentiles who shared their hope, recognized in Jesus the fundamental attributes of the Messianic Son of God, promised to God by Israel. Jesus accepted his rightful title of Messiah, though with some reserve because it was understood by some of his contemporaries in too human a sense as, as essentially political. You know, when the, the, the uh, Jews were waiting for the Messiah, they thought that the Messiah was going to be a great political savior, a great political leader. 
And so the Catechism is saying here that uh, Jesus accepted his rightful title as Messiah, uh, though with some reserve, the Catechism says, because it was understood by some of his contemporaries in too human a sense, an essentially political Messiah. That's what they were waiting for, for so many of them waiting for this political savior. Sadly today, and I think in our own country, right, in, in, in a certain sense, we're waiting for a political savior. Uh, and we know that no man is going to save what's going on in the world today. It takes Jesus, you know, and, and with all the stuff that's going on and all the uncertainties, you know, you hear about the, the, the talks of war and threats of war that are going on around the world. We hear about, you know, that the, the, the Russia is about to invade the Ukraine and that China, after the Olympics, is going to uh, take over Taiwan and, and all these threats of war. No political individual is going to save the world. Jesus is the one savior of the world. Jesus Christ. And that's why we, his disciples on earth today, we are the ones who are responsible uh, spiritually to do whatever we possibly can to continually invoke the holy name of Jesus, to continually call upon him for help to save us. You know, we sometimes echo the words of the apostles in the boat during the storm when our Lord was uh, asleep in the stern. Lord, aren't you afraid? Aren't you, uh, don't you care that we're about to perish? You know, we call out to Jesus today in today's world, Lord, please save us. This world has gone mad in so many ways. And sadly, it's because the world does not recognize Jesus as the Savior of the world. And his divinity is, is not acknowledged, not recognized, and so many people just turn their backs on him and use his name in vain. It's no wonder we are in the shape we're in right now. In paragraph 440, our catechism says, Jesus accepted Peter's profession of faith, and uh, which acknowledges, I'm sorry, which acknowledged him to be the Messiah by announcing the Im imminent passion of the Son of God. He unveiled the authentic content of his messianic kingship, both in the transcendent identity of the Son of Man, who came down from heaven, and in his redemptive mission as the suffering servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hence, the true meaning of his kingship is revealed only when he is raised high on the cross. Only after his resurrection will Peter be able to proclaim Jesus' messianic kingship to the people of God. Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then the, par the, the uh, catechism continues in a section, and we have, we have time, the only Son of God. <clears throat> and in the New Testament, Son of God is a title given to the angels, the chosen people, the children of God, and their kings. It signifies an adoptive sonship and establishes a relationship of particular intimacy between God and his creature. When the promised Messiah King is called Son of God, it does not necessarily imply that he was more than human, 
according to the literal meaning of these texts. Those who called Jesus Son of God as the Messiah of Israel perhaps meant nothing more than this. Such is not the case for Simon Peter, who, when he confesses Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, for Jesus responds solemnly, flesh and blood, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And similarly, Paul will write regarding his conversion on the road to Damascus, when he who had set me apart before I was born and had called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his Son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And in the synagogues immediately, Paul proclaimed Jesus, saying, He is the Son of God. From the beginning, this acknowledgment of Christ's divine sonship will be the center of the apostolic faith, first professed by Peter as the church's foundation. If you ask people today, my brothers and sisters, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? What do you know about him? What do you believe about him? What do you believe to be true about him? Sadly, there are many, many people. We had a uh, situation. Someone once was telling me a story once, a couple, a few years ago. One of our one of our board members that she had gone into a uh, a store or someplace, um, and she was wearing a crucifix. And the young lady, maybe a millennium, millennial, was looking at what she was wearing and said, "Who's that?" Who's that man around your neck? Who's, and she she had no concept of the crucified Lord. She hadn't even had, obviously had never ever seen a crucifix. This was just a few years ago, and you wonder what wh where are people? What are they doing? This this young girl didn't even know what a crucifix was. Didn't know who the person was on the cross. How many people, you know, do do we know who really know nothing of Jesus? Know nothing about him? You know, we have here in our uh, in our well, not here, I'm home, but we have over in our chapel uh, at the radio station the beautiful little chapel, and we have a a, a particular above the altar, uh, behind the altar, as you face the altar. There's a beautiful little stained glass that that was uh, is is there, and when the uh, people were building the chapel for us um, the gentleman who was doing the electrical work for us uh, he was not Catholic nor was his wife but his wife did stained glass so we asked if she would do the stained glass for our our chapel it's not a big stained glass but it's, it's, it goes the length of almost the length of the back wall and it's backlit so it's beautiful when, when we turn the lights on but when she was making it, she came to me, and she had this round stained glass of our Lord's face with the crown of thorns looking down. And she said to me, what, what would you think if I put this in the center of the stained glass and make that the centerpiece of the stained glass? And I said, that would be great, beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of our Lord. Oh, you know who this is? I said, excuse me. She goes, you know, I've got to tell you the story behind this. And this, it's a great story. I'm going to have to end the program on this, but it's a great story. Where um, she would go, because she did stained glass, she would go to these trade shows. 
and she said a number of years ago, a number of years ago. Now our chapel uh, opened. We have they built it for us in 2013, so it's nine it'd be nine years. My goodness. So a number of years before that, even, she was at a trade show. And she said, and she had her stained glass. There's the, that you know she would because she would do stained glass. And she had all these displays at this this uh, trade show. And she said a gentleman came up to me, rather dis- disheveled in a kind of a brown robe with a beard <laughs> and he said you might want this you might need this someday and she looked at it she again she had no idea who it was on the stained glass and she took it but she didn't know and she thought it was a nice piece of stained glass but didn't know it was jesus just because she didn't know who jesus is or was and she kept it in her basement for many years and here we are, so many years later, she's doing this thing. She goes, maybe that's what this is for. So she, and it is, it's still in our chapel. There's a story behind it. If you've ever been into our chapel, where we have the stained glass, and that center, round center image of our Lord crowned with thorns was from this woman. Uh, and it was given to her by an older gentleman disheveled in a brown robe with a beard. Now, I don't know if it was Padre Pio, or uh, <laughs> I'm suspecting it might be. Um, but what a great story, you know, that, that, but on the other side, uh, I think, my goodness, um, she didn't know who it was. She had no idea it was Jesus the Lord. So it's up to you and me, my brothers and sisters, you know, as disciples to ensure that people know the Lord, that people know Jesus, who he is, and what he is. Okay, well, there you go. That's the theme, and that means I got to get out of here, so, uh. Do join us tomorrow on Friday Live. Dr. Ray Garendi will join Cheryl and me, and Bruce DeBacco will join us as well. So I do hope you can come back then. Have a great rest of your day, my friends. My name is Jim Manfredonia. Thanks for listening. God bless you, and God love you.